Hello and welcome to the Bite Size Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Phil Shiroki, and today we are going to continue our look at the importance of self-control. Again, this is a topic that initially I was avoiding, but after several failed attempts at trying to do some research and study on some other topics... God kept pushing me back into this direction until finally I just foolishly stopped trying to fight against what I feel like the Holy Spirit was leading me to. I surrendered. I said, yes, Lord. And now look at here I have, you know, um, this is going to be, it looks like a four-part series on this one topic. So I'm very happy about that. I'm excited. Um, I feel like it's a breakthrough type of topic that when people really grasp the importance of this, this can really lead to just some amazing life-changing results throughout everyone's life as we walk through this time with, uh, you know, our time on earth here while getting to know the Lord and growing spiritually. So, Without any further ado, let's take a look at the importance of self-control, part three. Alrighty, so picking up where we left off before, we are going to pick up in Matthew chapter 26. We're going to look at verse 41. This is Jesus speaking. Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing but the flesh is weak. So right here, Jesus, he's, you know, he's in the garden of Gethsemane. He is basically saying some of his final prayers before he is about to really go through with the crucifixion, with his death prior to his ultimate awesome resurrection and then ascension up to heaven. But he is saying the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. That flesh word there is the word sarks. In its literal sense, sarks refers to the substance of the body, whether of animals or persons. In its idiomatic use, The word indicates the human race or personhood. In an ethical or spiritual sense, sarks is the lower nature of a person, the seat and vehicle of sinful desires. So right there, I mean, it's just beautiful. You know, Jesus, again, being 100% God and 100% man in the flesh, He is saying right there, I mean, the struggle we all have as Christians, as we're walking out this walk with God on this earth, our spirits are willing, but our flesh is weak. And that's why it is so vital and important that we grasp hold and embrace this notion of self-control. It's a theme, it's thematic throughout the New Testament. It's something, it's, I believe it's a trait and quality. Look, I said in the first couple parts that it's, um, it's part of the new covenant. And I do believe that, but you know, self-control as a human being is something that we've always had to exercise even throughout 
the Old Testament as well. Obviously, people exercise and exhibit self-control, but the uniqueness I'm talking about with what we're living in now and these times we're in is, again, the fact that we have the Holy Spirit of God living and dwelling within us. So it's very important that we understand that and that we understand that our spirits are strengthened by the Holy Spirit. Again, that idea of sort of, you know, the, um, the, the um, father picking the son up to shoot the basketball in the hoop because the son's just too small to actually reach the hoop. It's the same thing with the Holy Spirit and us. We are weak. We are feeble. We are nothing. But that Holy Spirit of God that dwells within us, that Spirit of God, when we pray, for example, lifts our prayers up to heaven and takes our weak words and brings them up to the ears of God. I mean, that's incredible. That's important. And that's just, you know, it's pretty awesome when you really think about it. And quickly touching on that idea of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us and why, you know, it's important to really gain and understand this self-control is because one of the most offensive sins to God is sexual immorality. The reason being because, well, let's just look at this. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 18 to 20. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Again, going back to the idea of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, and that right there, Paul says, I mean, the Holy Spirit dwells within us. It, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, so we should really respect the fact that we have God, you know, His Holy Spirit dwells in us. That's special that's unique to humanity alone. The Holy Spirit does not dwell in any other living being, not in animals, not in anything else. But Christians that are called out of this world, that accept Jesus Christ and recognize that he's the son of God, that repent of their sin, turn away of their sin, and then the Holy Spirit comes and lives and dwells within us. And we never want to take that for granted, and we never want to put the Holy Spirit and subject the Holy Spirit to anything that we are called to not partake in. Um, the note down here says, sexuality is a unique, profound aspect of the personality involving one's whole being. Sexual immorality has far-reaching effects with great spiritual significance and social complications. Such immorality is not only a sin against the body, it is a sin against the Holy Spirit who dwells in the body. Because believers have been purchased by the blood of Christ, they should honor him to whom they belong. 
Again, I mean, Jesus said that, and it's stressed so many times throughout the New Testament that we are bought with a price. We are not our own anymore. Our lives, thankfully, <laughs> are now lived and called to be lived in a way in which we honor God, in which we walk in his ways, not our own ways, not our old ways, but in the ways and purposes to which he calls us in which he calls us. So, you know, it's, again, I would never, I'm not saying any of this with a pointed finger. I'm saying this out of love to simply say that we must understand the importance of self-control in order to have this um, dominion, if you will, over our bodies to be able to understand that we are called to walk out godly purposes. We are not called to walk in the flesh, but we are called to walk out the spiritual things that God has called us to. And we cannot do any of that until we have this self-control so that we are not offending God and offending the very Holy Spirit he gives us and not grieving that spirit by partaking in things or doing things that are going to offend him because God is a jealous God. He can be offended. He has a personality. That's the amazing thing I've had, the blessing, one of the many blessings I've had with being able to do this series and this Bible study is the fact of really getting to, to just be able to start to get a glimpse of the character of God and the whole character and his being. And, you know, he's just amazing. He's wonderful. He's loving. He's caring. He's all of the above, but he's also a person, um, obviously a, a spiritual being, but the person of God is something that we cannot take for granted. You know, it's a relationship we have with God through Jesus Christ. We have his Holy Spirit dwelling in us. And, you know, it's pretty amazing when you realize that the person of God is that very thing, a person. And of course, I'm not talking about, you know, a human being. I'm talking about the spiritual entity that is God that, you know, can be offended, can be, um, you know, brought to places that we partake in. And again, right here, in 1 Corinthians, Paul's clearly saying there's certain things you do not want to expose God to or expose that Holy Spirit to because he came, he dwells within us, his Holy Spirit, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And don't take that lightly because as Paul finishes off that particular thought with, again, stressing and emphasizing the fact that we are purchased and bought with the blood of Jesus Christ, we are not our own, we are his. Do not take that lightly. That is not to be overlooked or skimmed over. That is to be paused at and to let that sink in as to exactly what that means and what that's saying, because that's heavy, weighty stuff that is significant. So, now we are going to flip over to 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 5 through 
Let's look at verses 5 through 11. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. <clears throat> Excuse me. So that, again, that's out of First uh, Peter. And I just love reading uh, the books uh, Peter wrote because, um, you know, you look at the story of Peter when he denied Christ three times. I mean, that's the perfect example right there of, you know, somebody doing something um, out of the flesh, lacking self-control and doing something, you know, basically denying Christ three times. I mean, you're talking about a guy who walked with the Lord and then as the Lord is about to be, you know, given up and killed, Peter saying, I don't know who that is. That, that, I don't know that guy, you know, and they're saying, yes, yes, you were a disciple. And he's saying, no, I, I don't know who, who, who he is, you know, but then you look around and you look at Peter, his redemption, you know, um, and his repentance and then how Christ, you know, used him towards, you know, in the new church to establish his church. Um, and then also him being martyred for Christ. So ultimately, you know, Peter got it. And that's a good little quick story and, and picture of how, although we fail, although we stumble, although we fall, there is always redemption for God's people when we come back, repent, the Lord is always there with open arms, willing to forgive us. And it's important. I wanted to read that that passage because there's some really good stuff in there that Peter talks about. And uh, looking at the note for verse five from first Peter chapter five, likewise, is a transition word denoting a shift to a different group. Uh, humble and personal relations are to be lived out under the mighty hand of God. Observe, therefore, at the beginning of the verse, it is he, Jesus, who will exalt the humble in due time. That is, when the chief shepherd appears, the mighty hand of God perhaps alludes especially to the exodus that when deliverance came to Israel. So, I'll stop there real quickly, and then I'll look at the note for verses 8 and 9, because those verses there are really sobering and are sort of some of the meat and potato as to why it's so important to have this self-control. Because, well, first you see there where God's talking or Peter's talking about, um, 
you know, being humble, staying, you know, in the, uh, the being clothed with humility. Again, this, this has to go with the idea of the, um, traits and the qualities of the Holy Spirit that are exhibited in his people. Um, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So if you know anybody walking around boastfully and, and pridefully, you know, in any gift of God may have given them or any area of life, and they're calling themselves a Christian, check them, call them out, you know, because that's not a, that's not a, godly quality and if again this is for christians this is for the church this is for the body but if you see people walking around that way uh, you know god will knock them off that perch soon enough but if you love that brother or sister call them out and in a loving way of course and remind them of this this very simple verse that god resists the proud but gives grace to the humble and i can definitely testify to that I've walked around pridefully in life and been knocked off my perches, and I've also walked around with humility, and I've reaped the benefits of that humility, and I've seen the difference in the two, and I will walk around meek and humble for the rest of my life all day long <laughs> compared to walking around with that foolish pride, <clears throat> excuse me, or you know anything in those, those respects and regards because you don't want to walk around pridefully. That's a... Um, it's not a trait or quality or any evidence of a changed life in Christ or walking with the Holy Spirit. So quickly looking again at those verses 8 and 11, or excuse me, 8 and 9 in First Peter chapter 5. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. So the note there, resist. The active imperative indicates an assertive stance against the adversary's operations. Because of the devil's aggressive hostility, Christians must be spiritually alert, not only to withstand his attacks, employing the armor described in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 18, but in prayer and spiritual warfare opposing him. So, I mean, I spoke about this a little, little while back, but, um, you know, there's, <clears throat> excuse me, a very active element of satanic, occultic, demonic worshipers out in this world. They've always been here, always doing their rituals, always passing things down. But these days, there is literally, I mean, in America and globally now, there's a Church of Satan. And if you look at, just go on their website, you talk about backwards thoughts, backwards theologies, the exact mindset of the occult, the the praise of Lucifer. <laughs> they literally, Satanists call themselves their own gods. I mean, you talk about following in the footsteps of their father. I mean, Again, I, I mentioned that I was looking at doing a, an episode on Lucifer slash Satan, but I, I don't know. Maybe I'll do that at some point in the future, but I don't feel compelled, nor do I feel like that's the timing right now is, is anywhere near um, right for that. But, you know, these people literally, um, they're actively going against the church, against God. They're performing rituals to summon and conjure up spiritual things. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't, shouldn't have to say this, but I'd highly 
I'd recommend never partaking in any type of seances, any type of Ouija board, quote, spirit board activity. They're very real instruments and tools that people use to open demonic doors. Just as we can call on the spirit of God and have active spiritual prayer lives, which Thankfully, we're on the right side. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> Thankfully, we are on the side of the creator, not the fallen created being who one day will be cast down into hell and humiliated. And that's one thing I was going to look at is just the humiliation that Satan one day is going to be subject to. The same way he was when Jesus died and was resurrected, when Jesus was in the belly of the earth. He was basically down there parading Satan around and tormenting him and his fallen angels because that that is what he deserves. He wanted to be in the position of God, just as these satanic worshipers call themselves their own gods. At least I'll give them this. At least they acknowledge it. The sad part is a lot of people are walking around these days not realizing that they are their own gods, just lost in the world and don't even have any spiritual clue about what's going on in the world. But again, there's a very active component and it's important to be sober and vigilant because our adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. And the devil is very aggressive, especially towards someone who is choosing to walk out the purposes of Christ. Because the last thing Satan, believe it or not, he wants every soul he can get with him in his torment. The old saying of misery loves company. Well, he's the ultimate miserable, <laughs> the, the, the lay miz. He, he is a miserable, miserable entity. And the reason for that is because he knows his time is coming. He knows the day of judgment is right around the corner, and he operates in the spiritual realm in which time and space do not exist. So the way we look at time, you know, the Bible says a thousand years is like a day, and a day is like a thousand years to God. And to us, we can't understand that. But I can comprehend and appreciate the fact that once we step out of this physical realm that is confined to time and space— and there's a pretty cool reason for that because God is on a timeline and the reason that we need to have the sun, the moon, you know, days and nights are because that timeline is very strictly and very um, perfectly and um, divinely followed by the spirit of God. Um, but the Satan knows his time is coming and he is a fearful. He wants everyone that he can to be down there with him in that pit. That's why it's essential that we're vigilant, that we practice and exercise self-control, and that we have our priorities straight and we understand that we are called to walk out the ways of the Lord and to not walk in the flesh, but to walk in the spirit. So, that is going to conclude part three of our look at the importance of self-control. And now we will conclude with part four.